you in our study in the book of Philippians, Philippians 2 this morning. If you'd join me in turning there. But, uh, enjoy singing those songs about our God, about our Savior. And uh, just such a blessing to sing those with you. As we uh, think about this example, remember this is uh, our series, Model Maturity. And um, in this case, we have talked about Philippians being a highly personal letter and Paul being a model for us, uh, but also there being a calling for the believers to model maturity and uh, Paul's example. But in this case, we are reaching a place in this letter where we're considering the mind of Christ and the example of Christ. There is no better example than that. And so we, we get to look together at the mind of Christ today. This is one of those passages that uh, some have, have thought that it was written so beautifully that perhaps it was an early Christian hymn. Uh, it's one of those sections that some have uh, referenced as being almost like 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter just with the, the way it is, is so beautifully composed. And, and with it, it provides for us a glimpse into what Christ is like, the, the very mind of Christ, we might say. And, and with that, it, it points out to us how wonderful he is and reminds us at the same time how far short we've fallen. Right, how far short we are of that perfect standard. We have a Christ, a Savior, who, who was willing to leave all the glories of heaven, to humble himself, and endure humiliation and shame, and to do it all to die in our place. He died vicariously for us. You know, the, the Philippians were called to be imitators of this model, to, to imitate him. Not so much in the death aspect, right? But in the example set before him. Because if they were Christ-like, the issues of disunity would vanish. They would go away. The, the, the fighting, the bickering, all of those things would go away. Someone have, has have, uh, used the actual term describing this passage as being an exquisite diamond in a setting of 24 karat gold. And volumes and volumes of, of books have been written just on this simple section alone. Paul, as he writes this section, lays out for everyone the humble mind of Jesus himself. He is the perfect example. He is the one that we ourselves are to think like. And here in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to begin reading together in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, 
even the death of the cross. Lord, bless the reading of his word. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the example as the very mind of Christ is opened up before us today. Father, we thank you for the humility of Jesus Christ. It's hard to imagine the God of the universe being willing to leave his throne in heaven to humble himself and to take on himself the the lowly form of a man. And to endure suffering and shame and to die for mankind. Father, what, what an example of humility. Father, we thank you that even before we go further, Father, that you have opened to us these treasures and these riches. Father, we just praise your name today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, this position that Jesus was in is, is an eternal position of greatness. This was not uh, somehow something that he gained. Jesus has, uh, is God. He's always been God eternally. He, he has been in that position. And so as we, as we think about that and, and the, the reference here um, from verse 5, right? Let this mind be, think this way. Um, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's the same mind that is, that is Jesus's who began in the form of God. Now, this reference here, this way of describing it, right, existing in the form of God, uh, we've tried to twist these words, but the idea is that Jesus himself in eternity past has always been God. Right? He, he has always been God, and he has lived as God. And where is that? Well, he's enjoyed all the glories and the praise and the majesty of heaven. He has enjoyed all of those benefits. Um, in fact, it's described here as he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So, so if, if Jesus himself... The, the pre-incarnate Christ already possesses equality with, with God the Father, right? And, and all of that that he is, is enjoying and, and experiencing, and yet with that going on, 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Those, through his poverty... Um, that we might, through his poverty, be rich. You know, we, we get this insider's glimpse here of what's going on in, in the character of Jesus Christ, the disposition, what he is like when God in flesh is provided for us, right? The incarnation of Jesus Christ. He, he in spite of being one who deserved all the glories of heaven, and, and enjoying all of the outward appearances of, of heaven and all, the, all the, the things that come with it. In fact, enjoying all of the attributes of God, uh, and enjoying all of the aspects of the very character of God, be, being capable of performing all the works of God, 
Je- Jesus could do all of these things. Right? He, he was omnipotent. He, he was all-powerful. He, he was omniscient. He could, he could see all things. He, he understood all of these different aspects that, the, of, of qualities that are reserved for God himself because Jesus is God. And, and so from eternity past, he has enjoyed all of these attributes, and he, he has enjoyed worship. You know, we, we don't worship man. Man doesn't get that. We don't worship rocks. Rocks doesn't deserve that. We don't worship paintings, even if they're pretty. Right? They don't deserve that. Uh, we, don't, we don't worship carvings. We, we don't worship regular people. Right? They're, they're not deserving of that. But Jesus is worthy of our worship. Why? Because he's God. God is worthy of worship and deserves worship. And Jesus has experienced that reality of being worshipped for all eternity. He, as it says here, uh, as, as it said in verse 6 there, uh, was being in the form of God. He, he enjoyed everything that God deserves. So, so much so that, that as it's described here, Jesus himself is saying that it was not robbery to be equal with God. Now, when we hear that term robbery today, we often think robbery bad, right? Is Jesus stealing something that doesn't belong to him? No, no, look at how this is written here, right? He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So Jesus, possessing all of these attributes, for him to have it, it's not stealing. Why? Because he's God himself. In other words, he has precious treasure. He has valuable aspects in terms of his attributes and his works. And he didn't have to steal it. Right? It was his. He deserved it. He, he, he earned it by his, his very nature and character. They belonged to him because of who he is. He didn't have to take it from anybody. He didn't have to perform any works to gain it. He didn't have to steal it from anyone. And he's not taking anything from God the Father when he is demonstrating these aspects. And when he is worshipped, that's not diminishing God the Father. He's not stealing anything from him. See, see, that's how wonderful Jesus is. That's how incredible his position is going back for all eternity. And wow. I mean, as you, as you think about that, right, here, here is Jesus who, who is being declared before us as being perfectly equal with God. And this is the mind of Christ, right? This is the mind of Christ that, that Paul is opening up for us. And Christ himself knows it. He has every right to be in that position. He has every right to be described as equal with God. Why? Because he is God. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy of that position. And so it makes it all the more wonderful when we consider that Jesus himself was willing to go through this voluntary descent to service. See, Philippians verse 7 describes it this way. But he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. goes on in verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. 
This uh, word here, uh, this description here, verse 7, that he made himself of no reputation. Right, that who's doing the making there? Jesus is making himself of no reputation. That's why we say this is voluntary descent to service. No one pulled Jesus from his perch in heaven. He willingly left his position there to serve in the way that God the Father had planned out from the very beginning of time. He voluntarily descended to service. You know, even as we think about uh, what Jesus went through in the Passion Week and before that, you know, we, we can almost get the idea of, of oh, poor Jesus, look at, look at what's happening to him. Oh, poor Jesus, they're beating him. Oh, poor Jesus, Peter couldn't stop them. Right? I mean, it, it's easy to fall into that trap. Oh, oh, poor Jesus, they're mocking him. Oh, oh poor Jesus, they're, they're nailing him to the cross. Now, none of those things, from the perspective of treatment of someone else, is a good thing, right, in and of itself. And yet, Jesus was not impotent in that position. He, he could have stopped it at any time. He, he could have prevented their mocking. He, he could have knocked them all down to the floor. All right. In fact, he did knock them back in the garden, if you remember that. He, he had no lack of power. It wasn't poor Jesus. It was Jesus voluntarily laying down his life for our sakes. He made himself of no reputation. We didn't somehow just take it from him. We didn't take it by force. You know, we, we sometimes read the story of, of Jesus' life and the account of what took place. And I'll, I'll admit, at times I'm, I'm guilty of this, right? You you ever pick up a novel and you're going through it, what happens next? Or you're watching the movie, what's going to happen next? Right? And you read the gospel account and it says, oh no, Herod's looking for him. They're fleeing to Egypt. Are they going to get him? You know what I mean? We, we know the answer. But, but do you ever get that, just that little bit of suspense as you're reading? I, it's kind of silly, isn't it? I mean, as though God isn't in charge or in control. I, I mean, I, I'll admit to it. That that. That is my heart believing a lie about who God is. He's in charge. He's in control. They're not going to get him if he doesn't want them to get him. Right? They can't. He's not powerless. Even if they grab the baby, he, he can fend them all off. Right? He can call the angels. He can do whatever he wants. He can do that. And, and so it, it's so easy, I think, for us to somehow fail to, to realize that Jesus himself is voluntarily descending from the throne of heaven to, to earth to go through all of these things to serve us. And he wasn't surprised by any of it. What did he, as it says here, when it says he um, made himself of no reputation, literally it's, it, he emptied himself, what, what does it mean that he was emptying himself? Well, he didn't cease being God. Right? He's, he's still God. He, he, he is still 
um, fully God. He, he didn't leave that in any way. But what did he leave? He, he left heaven, right? He left the riches. He left all of the glories and visible glories of heaven. He, he left all of those angels who were sitting around the, the, the throne worshiping him. He left all of that. He left it behind. And ultimately, as he became sin for us, he, he left the, the challenges of, of, of what we could call an unbroken fellowship with the Father. He was willing to go through taking sin upon himself, becoming sin for us, for our sakes. He drank the cup. He was willing to do that. And, and he left all of the glories of heaven to, to go through that. He emptied himself of, of those things. See, the, the form of God couldn't be relinquished because God cannot cease to be God. Jesus was fully God. But he did take on himself the form of a servant. Right? He was willing to take on himself the form of a servant. Now, it's, it's one of the things that is just so interesting because it, it, you know, he, he is, is literally being made as, as nothing is, is the idea, right? He, it, 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 when you talk about being made nothing, right? when, you, when you talk about being made as nothing, that, that's talking about God adding humanity onto himself, right? I mean, th this language, right? No reputation. What, what does it mean to be of no reputation? Well, you just put on humanity. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what Jesus did. That, that was the incarnation, right? God in flesh. How did he become of no reputation? Well, he became man, right? 100% man. Still God, but 100% man. And, and, and so being made of, of nothing means that you add humanity onto deity. Not that you get rid of deity, right? Jesus is still God. He's still, he is the God-man in the incarnation. Paul makes clear that, that there is, uh, in, the, in this process, that Jesus, who is 100% man, is still different than man. He's not entirely like the other man. Why? Well, he's yet without sin, right? Jesus is without sin. One of the ways that we maybe think about this, uh, I don't know if you've ever watched those, uh, either a video of medieval times where the, the king goes and, you know, acts like a servant and puts the cloak on and sits around with the people and nobody knows who they're actually talking to or, um, you know, Mark Twain wrote a novel, The Prince and the Pauper, and, you know, the whole, the whole thing, right? The, the one who is in authority, the one who is worthy of, of recognition and praise and all these things, goes on and, and acts as though he, he is, you know, poor. One, one who has a, a position, and uh, as we think about it, what an example of humility, right? What an example of humility, I mean, it's one thing for the king of a land or a city or, or whatever to go and behave as a servant and wear a cloak and, and things like that. Um, you notice in all, almost all those cases at some point, 
the, the king who wears on the cloak, at some point something bad happens to him and he rips off the cloak and he, he says, how dare you? You know what I'm talking about? Does, that's usually what happens, right? Even when they take on the form of the servant, it, usually before they die or somebody else dies, they, they throw it off and, and they reclaim their power. Not so with Jesus. Jesus was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and he opened not his mouth. It, it, an incredible account. Isaiah 42, verse 1, says it this way, Behold my servant, whom I am uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And, and so here, here, is, here is Jesus himself leaving heaven, willing to go through all of this to, to bring about what God has called in his perfect plan. He surrenders his rights and privileges of heaven and becomes a man. Atmosphere, the holy atmosphere of heaven, all of that, gone. Display of his glory for all to see, it's now veiled in flesh. The privileges and wealth and benefits of heaven all set aside. Why? To redeem mankind. To be the mediator between God and man. You know, Jesus in this self-emptying takes on upon himself no longer the riches and benefits of deity, but rather the form of a servant, the form of a slave. And as it described for us here, right, this, this servant, the one whom God the Father upholds, his spirit's upon him. Well, during his time on earth, uh, Jesus notes in John six thirty eight, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. What's he doing? He's serving God the Father. He's taken on the form of a servant. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what God the Father wants for me to do in carrying out the plan that he has set before me. In, in fact, Hebrews uh, 2 verse 9 gives us a, a sense of the, the depth that he was willing to go. We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. I think, boy, if Jesus is going to become a servant, couldn't he at least become an angel, right? Why, why go all the way down for mankind? He's even a little lower than the angels, according to Scripture. He was willing to experience all of the things of fallen humanity. It involves things like hunger and thirst and pain, tears, ultimately death. And yet through it all, he, wasn't, he didn't sin yet without sin. The incredible account before us here of how wonderful Jesus is, actually, as, as we consider the end of verse 7 here, right, said he was made in the likeness of men. Verse 8 continues it, being found in the fashion of a man. So, so the end of that is, is um, what Christ actually is, right? He's made in the likeness of men. That's what he is. Now, verse 8, this is how he appears to mankind. When they look at him, what do they see? They say, 
the carpenter's son. Isn't that Jesus, son of Joseph? They, they see him in the fashion of a man. And so he, he is God. He's been made and made, uh, as verse 7 says at the end, um, in the likeness of men, right? He has become 100% man. And when people look at him, they see him as 100% man. They, they see him that way when they look upon him. That's how far he humbled himself. And he was willing to become obedient, even unto death. So this wasn't an ordinary death. In fact, it's a disgraceful death, right? The, the Romans, they didn't crucify Romans. Right? It was too bad for the Romans to crucify their own citizens in this way. The, the Jewish nation, they hated the concept of crucifixion. The, the whole idea was cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. The, the, the one who was up on the tree, you know, they, they must have done something really wrong to deserve that. And, and, and so this was, was in, indicative of the curse of God, as um, Deuteronomy actually puts it this way, right? Body should not remain all night upon the tree. Thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God. The land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. So, so here is Jesus going from the beginning of this section as in the form of God, right? God himself. He is, he is enjoying all the benefits of being God in heaven. And in response, he is going to the cross and experiencing death on the cross. A death that is so bad that Romans say, hey, it's not for us. A death that is so bad that the Jews say, hey, anybody that happens to, they're cursed. And he goes through all of that. Why? Because he is voluntarily willing to submit and become a servant. Voluntarily willing to do that coming to earth as, as a man, he put on display his humanity for all the world to see. As we think about what he, uh, if instead of just becoming an ordinary man, a carpenter's son, if he had become a king, he still would have been the most humble man on all the earth. Right? But, but he didn't do that. He didn't have status or stature. In fact, uh, he took one of the lowliest positions in all of the world. Remember when the, the wise men went to go and find this baby being born? They didn't go to the stable first. Right? They, they went to the capital. Where's the king being born? Well, the king was born, but he was born in a stable. It was a humble birth. And at his very appearance, no one saw Jesus as being divine. Isaiah 53, verse 2 says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form of comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus didn't come and say, Well, I need to be the Kendall, right? <laughs> I need to have the, 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 the purpose stat, perfect status, Folks look at me and say, wow, isn't he handsome, right? He, he didn't come looking like Saul. 
He came as Joseph the carpenter's son, born in a manger, willing to leave heaven for all of that. He grew and he developed just like any other child. His lifestyle was not one of riches. It was one of poverty. It was one of suffering. And he went through it all. Why? Because he was willing to voluntarily lay down his status and ultimately his life to die on the cross for our sins. You know, his humility is put before us in complete obedience to the Father's will, and it's so clearly displayed as he lay, lays down his life on the cross for, for all the world. You know, as we think about the humility of Jesus this morning, the, the mind of Christ, can, can we just for a moment grasp what that level of humility looks like, even if we can't personally understand it. I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I, I am in awe at my pride at times. Are you ever in awe at your pride? Wow. I really think I'm something. Do you, you ever experience that? I, I have these moments at times where it, 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 just, it just shocks me. And I shouldn't be shocked, you know, I, I shouldn't be shocked. I, I should know how proud I am, right? It, it, and yet at, at times, I, I even surprise myself at how sinful I am. You, you think you, we'd all just have that down. Yeah, we're really sinful, right? And, and, and yet, here is Jesus, and if he's willing to leave heaven and endure all of this, not for himself, but for our sakes. And not because we're really something, but because he loves us. And, and he goes through all of that. And then we, we look at ourselves and we think, well, you know, I'm really something. <laughs> you, you know, or, or, or I deserve this, or I should have that. I mean, what did Jesus deserve? He deserved all of those riches, all of those things that he enjoyed in heaven. He didn't have to steal them. They were his because, because of who he is. He didn't have to take them. He didn't have to rob them. He deserved all of that glory. He deserved all of that honor. So, so much so that, that when he came to earth... He, he's veiled. I mean, if he, if he were to be in our presence as the God of the universe, and you think of all that Shekinah glory shining out, and, and the perfect, and the, the holiness of God, right? When, go back to Moses. When God passes by, right, you, you shield your eyes. You, you get out of the way. And, and, and Jesus veils that so that he can walk in the presence among men, and he doesn't pick the position of a king. He doesn't pick the position of royalty. He doesn't pick the position of handsome Saul. He's born in a stable, in a manger. And he does it for us. And he comes to endure suffering and shame and all of those things. And the cross itself for our sakes. 
What is it that unifies Christians? It's Christ himself. It is the mind of Christ and the example and the attitude of Christ who is willing to humble himself. It's a call for each and every one of us to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. Because that's how wonderful our Savior is. And, and as we looked at this section of the mind of Christ today, this is Jesus demonstrating his humility. But you know, next week we're going to look at why he's worthy of being exalted. We need to ensure that we as believers are those who are willing to lay down aside our wants and wishes and our thoughts about what we deserve and all of those things and say, what does God want? Let's follow after him and let's please him. Let's see what his word says and let's apply that and live by it. And if it's a choice, let's not make it a big deal. What is that? That's unity. And it comes because of the demonstration, the humility of Jesus Christ that we have before us. And the mind of Christ, as Paul said at the very beginning, let this mind be in you. I don't know if you've been convicted this morning about a particular area, perhaps, that, that God has shown you in your life. Whether it's what we think we deserve or how we think things ought to be and how they ought to happen. Um, I have a lot of things where I think it ought to be a certain way, right? And when it's not, I get frustrated. And that's because I'm proud. And perhaps God has put his finger on something in your life this morning. So we've got to pray. Um, we're just going to pause for a moment during the prayer. And I want you to give you time to, to talk to him. And if, if it's sin, confess it and forsake it. If, if it's something coming up and a decision and you've been struggling with the thoughts, just lay it out before him and ask for his help to go into it with humility, to demonstrate the mind of Christ in whatever's coming up in your life. Can we call out to him and say, God, we, we need the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the example set before us today, and we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that your word lays out for us what true humility looks like. And we're grateful, Father, that we have had an opportunity this morning to just begin to plumb the depths of, of, of humility and what true humility looks like. Father, I'm, I'm not sure that any of us can confidently say that, that, that we fully understand humility. It's certainly not in the way that Jesus does. But, but Father, I pray that you would help us with the glimpse that we've caught today of the humility of our Savior, that we would seek to have the mind of Christ in our thoughts and actions, that, 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 
the way that Jesus put on display for us humility, that it would guide our thoughts and actions in life. Father, as we pause now, I just pray that each of us would take a moment, just cry out to you for anything that you have put your finger on this morning. Father, we are grateful for our Savior. He's willing to leave heaven for our redemption. Father, help us to honor you and honor our Savior, Jesus Christ. Pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.